global unrest. Is the end near? This message is the first in a series on biblical prophecy, a world in chaos, preached by Pastor Scott Poling at Harvest New Beginnings in Oswego, Illinois. It was preached on September 20th, 2015. I received an email from a guy who got our Prophecy Series flyer in the mail. Let's just say he wasn't overly impressed. Um, This is what he had to say in his email. I just got your flyer in the mail. You guys sound insane. Why are you people so obsessed with end times prophecies? Why not try to make the best of this life the only one you'll ever have? Please get help. You are the reason people are leaving churches in droves. Well, at least our flyer made an impression on this guy. But we got to ask some questions after getting an email from this guy. So are we insane for studying prophecy? Uh, is this the only life right here and now that we're really ever going to have? Uh, are people really leaving the church in droves because we would dare study prophecy? As a matter of fact, my guess is that some of you are here today because of this very topic. There is a fascination with all things future. as so we look at world events and we wonder... Wow, what does the future hold as we see so much instability around us? For some, it brings great fear. For others, it brings great excitement. Well, today we're going to start a new series on prophecy in the Bible, and we've titled it World in Chaos. Is this the beginning of the end? And we're going to study scripture in a systematized way, and we're going to look at major prophecies and prophetic events that occur in the Bible. And today we're going to have an introduction to this series. And the way that I want to introduce this is I want you to say the first point very loud and clear with me. Ready? God wants me to read, study, and understand prophecy. Say it again. God wants me to read, study, and understand prophecy. And you may say, well, Scott, how can you say that? Because your Bible is one-fourth prophetic. One-fourth of your Bible is prophecy. As a matter of fact, over 1,800 prophecies are found in the Bible, over 1,200 in the Old Testament, over close to 600 in the New Testament. Out of 31,000 plus verses, over 8,000 are prophetic. 6,600 and some in the Old Testament, 1,700 in the New Testament. In other words, 26.8% of the entire Bible is prophetic, either fulfilled or yet to be fulfilled. That is a lot of prophecy, 28% in the Old Testament, 21% in the New Testament. There's only four books without prophecy, Ruth, Song of Solomon, Philemon, and Third John. So if you don't like prophecy, there's your choices. That's all you got, friends. We can confidently say God wants us to read and study and understand prophecy. So what that means is don't be afraid of prophecy. Prophecy is nothing to be afraid of. And what that means is don't think that prophecy is way over your head and you'll never understand it. Not true. And don't avoid prophecy because of the nut jobs that are out there taking advantage of people and abusing the word of God. Now, I do want to recommend a valuable resource to you that I think is very good. It's, it's called the Prophecy Study Bible by Tim LaHaye. It is an excellent, excellent resource and tool, great tool of explanation. It's the whole Bible, but he gives footnotes as, as you read through the Bible, all dealing with prophecy. 
So the first point, read, study, and understand prophecy. Here's the second point. God wants me to analyze the signs of the times. Say it with me. God wants me to analyze the signs of the times. He doesn't want us ignorant. He wants us to see signs. And sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't read the sign. That's old 70s group, five-man electric band. But anyway, the thought is true. Can't you read the sign? And can't you read the signs? As a matter of fact, religious leaders came up to Jesus one day and they wanted a sign, not necessarily prophetic, but they were putting them on the spot. Matthew chapter 16, one through three. Pharisees, Sadducees came up testing Jesus, asked him, show them a sign from heaven. His reply, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you, not, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? They came to Jesus and they said, perform for us, like his healings and his miracles were not enough. Take it up a notch, Lord. Uh, really wow us. Prove who you are. And, and basically Jesus says, open your eyes. I heard a saying oftentimes growing up at the Atlantic Ocean where I grew up in Ocean City. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky at morning, sailors what? Take warning. We can discern much about the coming day by the appearance of the sky. I know you can get it on your smartphone too, blah, blah, blah. You know, pull up the forecast, pull up the radar, all that stuff. But Jesus is making a point. He's saying a red sky at night, that happens because the sun is setting and sending its light through high concentration of dust particles. And it usually indicates high pressure, stable air coming from the west. Good weather's probably on its way. A red sunrise like this means the sun's rays are reflecting off clouds in the west. And a morning sky that's a deep fiery red can indicate that there's a high water content in the atmosphere so a storm could well be on its way. Jesus said, you know how to look at the sky and discern the weather that's coming. Make sure you look at the signs of the times. Jesus is saying, learn to be observant. Jesus also challenged the crowds in a similar passage in Luke chapter 12, 54. He was saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, hey, shower's coming, so it turns out. When you see a south wind blowing, you say, hey, it's going to be a hot day. It turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not analyze the present time? You see clouds coming from the west and you say, it looks like it's going to rain. It's going to rain. You see a wind coming up from the south and it's warm and you say, it's going to be a warm day. He's saying, now I want you to analyze the present time. Don't be a hypocrite. Figuring out the weather and what the weather is going to be. And, and we have this incredible preoccupation with the weather. How hot is it going to be today? And is a cold front finally coming in? And are we going to get rain? And is it going to be windy? And we're constantly checking the weather on our smartphones. Well, here's the forecast for you. Just everybody calm down. Right There it is. You know what Jesus is saying? The prophetic forecast is more important than any meteorological forecast. Be more concerned with the prophetic forecast of this world than the forecast for this day. Start caring more about the present time and the future than you do the weather. He's saying, please, people, don't be so consumed with the weather when there's so much more bigger, important things to study. So read and study and understand prophecy and analyze the signs of the times. Thirdly, please take this to heart. Don't set dates. 
man, I'm so sick of people. Anybody say amen, I'm sick of people setting dates. It's crazy out there. But there are two extremes. There are, there's two extremes to prophecy. There's those that never analyze or study the prophecies of Scripture. Some of you are here. You never study. You never read prophecy. The other extreme is to overanalyze to such a point that you actually set dates and read into things and presume things that are not true. I got a card in the mail about four months ago. It was the strangest thing. And I was thinking about doing a prophecy series, but I did not take this as prophetic. Um, It's called the 11th Hour Prophetic Timeline. I don't even know who came up with this. Dozens and dozens of dates saying this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Just to let you know, September 28th, 2015, a week from this Monday, is on that list. Do you know what happens that day according to that list? The sixth seal of judgment opens. Yes. Earthquakes of mass proportion, meteorites, volcanic activity, polar shift, tsunami putting the Gulf Coast underwater, reaching 50 to 100 miles inland. Not a good time to go to Disney World. Just letting you know. Don't go next week. October 21st is the next date on there, 2015. Yellowstone supervolcano is going to erupt. A third of the trees and grass are going to be burned up on this world. Don't take the kids to go see Old Faithful. Not a good time. I'm so tired of people setting dates. Harold Camping, founder of Family Bible Radio, called home back in 2013. I'm assuming he had some splaining to do. But anyway, predicted the rapture would occur May 21st, 2011. Did it happen? You missed it. Um, (laughs) Followed by the end of the world, October 21st, 2011. Did it happen? No. You know what's so sad is that there were people who listened to that radio station who quit their jobs, who donated their retirement savings and college funds to get the word out. It wasn't the first time he predicted this. Back in 1992, he said the end of the world would be September 1994. Nothing happened. Oh, but he changed the date December 25th to 1994. Nothing happened. He changed it again to April 3rd, 1996. Nothing happened. This is one thing is for sure. Grab this. Take it to the bank. Someone sets a date, it's guaranteed not to be the date. Just remember that. Any date that is set for end times thing, it's guaranteed not to be the date. Here's some good verses to keep in mind. Matthew 24, 36. In the context of the Lord's return. But of that day and hour, say it with me. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So if the angels don't know the exact date, don't assume you got it figured out. If the Son of God doesn't know the exact date, certainly someone else hasn't figured it out. No wonder we get emails thinking we're nuts. The context of the disciples asking about the restoration of Israel, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. You know what the Lord Jesus said? Don't focus on date setting, focus on soul saving. It's not about setting a date for something to happen. It's about looking at the people around you that are in need of God looking at their souls and the forgiveness they need that is found only through Jesus Christ. Yes, study, study prophecy, but don't set a date and go after people for eternity because they need the Lord Jesus in their lives. So when it comes to prophecy, read it and study it and understand it. When it comes to prophecy, analyze the signs of the times. 
When it comes to prophecy, please don't set dates. But you may say, well, are we in the end times? Is it the last days? Fourth, recognize what it means to be in the last days. And that's what I want to take the rest of our time to do right now. There's many passages that refer to the last days. Daniel 2, Isaiah 2, Hebrews 1, Joel 2, 1 John 2. There are two passages in the New Testament, one by the Apostle Paul and one by Peter, that I want to look at this morning with you. What are the end times? What are the last days? If you're taking notes, write down 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. These are the two passages we will look. First, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. What are the last days, and are we in them? 2 Timothy 3, 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. The last days... The last days typically refer to that time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. Before the worldwide seven-year tribulation unleashed upon this earth. This is what the world will be like before the tribulation and the return of the Lord. You may say, well, doesn't that describe every age? It sure does, but it gets worse and grows with intensity the closer we get. That's what he's talking about. He says difficult times, the last days, they'll be perilous, dangerous, violent, disintegration of society, a culture just downward spiral, continuing down. And it's not just because of greater news coverage, people. Now, here is something I want you to take advantage of. When you go to work and you're talking to a coworker, or you're in the neighborhood and you're talking to a neighbor or a relative and they are bemoaning how bad the world is and they are saying, I can't believe the rape and the violence and the robbery and I can't believe the craziness in this world. I want you to understand God has just given you a platform to take them to 2 Timothy 3. He just gave you a platform to take them to 2 Peter 3. When you are talking to someone and they are bemoaning how bad the world is, you get your Bible out. And you say, I want to show you what the Bible says. I want to show you what prophecy says. Give the word of God a platform into the lives of unbelievers and don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of that. Because there's a lot of people looking at this world, shaking their heads saying, what is going on? And you can say, I can tell you. I can tell you. It's going to be difficult times. How difficult? Verse 2, they'll be lovers of self, lovers of money. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They love, love, love all the wrong things. It's all filled with self, a love of self, self self-centered, narcissistic. The last days are are shown to be a society consumed with self-love, Self-esteem, self-worth, self-image, self-help, self-love. I just want to let you know, you're living in the last days. Everywhere we look, it's all about self. 
the last days are preoccupied with all things self. And sadly, not only in the world, but also in the church. Do not let the sin of the last days find its way into your soul. Be very careful, child of God. There'll be a love of self, there'll be a love of money. Lovers of money, this this growing greed, disease of the soul, all-consuming materialism for stuff and things and possessions of which none of it will ever satisfy. None of it. Be careful, Christian, be careful. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It doesn't mean you can't be a good godly businessman and do the best you can. It's, it's the consumption, being overwhelmed with greed. Be careful, Christian. Be content, Christian, the verses before this passage in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by what? Contentment. For we've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Last days, love of self. Last days, love of money. Last days, love of pleasure. Look at verse four. Lovers of pleasure, it's where we get our word hedonism or hedonistic. It's self-indulgence, it's self-gratification, it's, it's fulfilling every imagined pleasure. That's what it's after. And there's a lack of love for God. Rather than lovers of God, everything and anything takes the place of God. Don't miss this. Because some of you honestly love your golf clubs more than you love God. Some of you love your car more than you love God. Some of you love your kitchen more than you love God. Some of you love put it in the blank. You're more enamored with that than you are with God. And when you fall out of love with God, everything else will fall out of place. Luke chapter 10, 27, the greatest commandment, lest we forget it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the first and greatest commandment. The end days are characterized by misplaced love. They're also characterized by pride, pride, and more pride. Again, verse two and four. Boastful, we see in this list. Arrogant, conceited. Boastful means I'm smarter than anybody, I'm stronger than anybody else, I'm more special than they are. Arrogant is this self-exaltation, this, this air of superiority, placing ourselves above others, and conceited. Conceited comes from the root meaning enveloped in smoke. You know what that means? You can't see past yourself. All you can see is yourself. You're in this, this bubble of your pride. That's the last days. God stands against pride, James 4, 6. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh God, give me your grace. I don't want God against me. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on like you got dressed this morning. God, help me to dress in humility, not in pride. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives us another word in this list, revilers. It's where we get our word blasphemy. This inner disdain, hatred, or jealousy that comes out in slander. 
ripping somebody else down because we don't like them. Contempt. Disrespect is the next thing we see for parents. Disobedient to parents. Rebellion in the home. We don't see that at all today. Yeah. Maybe the fifth commandment needs to be plastered in our schools all over again. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Young people, honor your father and your mother. Respect your father and your mother. Then we have this list of negative virtues or unvirtues or non-virtues. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving in verse 2 and 3. Ungrateful, there's this feeling of entitlement. The world owes me. Everyone owes me. That's ingratitude. Unholy. It's lewd and licentious and lust-filled. All things dirty and morally corrupt. And, and not loving. There's a lack of affection for one's own family and for other people and other people's needs. It's one of the things we try to do in our church is reach the needs of other people. We have a PADS ministry for the homeless. Tuesday night, starting in October, we will have homeless people sleeping in God's house. No better place for them to sleep. Amen. You want to serve in our PADS ministry? Sign up out there. You want to serve in our food pantry? Sign up out there. You want to support the unborn and see babies saved? Sign up for PIC or the prayer ministry out there. You want to serve children, Awana, Sunday school? Get involved in people's lives. Fight the system of this world and learn to show affection and love and service to others. Some of you are consumed with yourself. You don't serve. You're not involved. You're not showing affection to those in need. Get out there and fight this world system. The next word is irreconcilable. It means a stubborn, pig-headed, unyielding person who's got to have it his way all the time. Outright refusal to change or admit they're wrong or say they're sorry or, or, or accept forgiveness or offer forgiveness. That's what it means. They're irreconcilable. They don't want peace with anybody. They're bitter. They're angry. The next word is malicious gossips. That's, that's what's going to characterize the last days. Now, malicious comes from our word diabolical or diabolos. It's a title for Satan, for the devil, meaning accuser. In other words, you open your mouth and you gossip, you just sided with the devil and you're acting like him. That's what gossip is. Gossip is from the pit of hell and it's what the devil wants you to do. To speak with a forked tongue and gossip is a heinous sin. Gossips like to undermine and tear down the reputations of other people. And they'll do it in private conversation with you at work or in the classroom or in the neighborhood or even in church. Or they'll do it in a public format, public platform of social media or some other way. Be very, very careful of a gossip. Not to listen to them, but to confront them and not to do what they are doing. These people in the last days are bent on destruction. Look at the words he gives us next. Verse 3 and 4. Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless. There's no self-control. 
throw inhibition to the wind. They don't care. There's no shame in their sin. They're just controlled by their passions. They just let loose. They're brutal. Their nature is to attack people and rip into people, and there's no mercy, and they're fierce. They go right for the jugular. They're haters of good. This is amazing. As much as you love what is good, they hate it just as much. As much as you hate what is evil, they love what is evil. That's a characteristic of the last days. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. God says, warning, I'm giving you my warning. Don't you, don't you dare call good evil and call evil good. But we see it everywhere in our world. The next word is treacherous. And of course, if, if you're so in love with yourself and you're conceited and you're seeking money and pleasure, relationships with other people don't mean anything and you'll sell them out. You'll lie when you need to lie and you'll break promises and make excuses for it and downplay it. Treacherous people can't be trusted. We see this more predominant during the tribulation period in Matthew 10, 21. Look how bad it'll get. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Matthew 24, 10, 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. That's treachery. The next word is reckless, he gives in this list. It means rash, careless, negligent, dangerous. And, and here is the absolute craziest part of this entire list. I want you to understand, Paul just described these people as lovers of self and money and arrogant and boastful and revelers and disobedient, ungrateful, reckless, treacherous, all of these words. And guess what? They consider themselves religious. That's what they do. He says they hold to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. These are religious people he's just described. They go to church, they own a Bible, they mouth the word to hymns or praise songs. These are people who have a form of godliness. We are in the last days, understand that. People consider themselves religious. They have a form, it means they have a shape of religion. They have a silhouette, they have a, they have a shadow of religion. But there's no real substance to their spirituality. They, they come to church and they mark off a box and they think they're spiritual but God is absent from their life all week long. Some of you are here this morning. You're just a shadow of spirituality, a silhouette. You come to church, it makes you feel good, but God has no part in your life whatsoever. And I want you to understand, God wants to be substance in your life. He wants to be substance. He wants to be real. He wants you to stop playing games and truly come to know his son as your savior. And he will save you, and he will change you. Many people have no real substance to their spirituality, and you know what Paul says is they're very dangerous. He says avoid such men as these, especially in areas of spiritual leadership. Be careful. There are spiritual leaders out there, whether they're on TV, whether they're on the radio, and they sound just so warm and fuzzy. It's because there's a shadow, a silhouette of religion. 
but not deep substance. Especially you who are true believers, you've got to be, are young believers, new believers, you've got to be careful. You've got to be grounded in the word of God. You, you need to exercise discernment. Don't just falsely assume because so this guy opens a Bible and preaches that he's a true believer. Don't just assume that friend at work goes to church is a true believer. Don't just assume these things. You have to exercise discernment because there are many people who have a form of religion, but it's not authentic. He says, avoid such men as these. Have nothing to do with these kind of people. They will just confuse you and influence you in the wrong way. It means turn away from that which is shadow and turn to that which is substance. And that's Paul's recommendation as he mentions the last days. Now Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 9, we read these words. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like what? One day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." The last days will be filled with people mocking Christians. The last days will be filled with people mocking the Bible. The last days will be filled with people mocking God and God's plan and prophetic word in the Bible. It'll be open season on people of faith. And they'll take their shots and ridicule beliefs and and have a complete disdain for anybody who's a person of faith. And there'll be no holding back when it comes to laying into spirituality as well as latching onto their sensuality. It says following after their own lust. So in other words, with their mouth, they just lay into Christian and with their life, they just live it up in sin. There's no God, there's no accountability, there's no fear of God, so they're going to carry on their life and indulge the flesh in every single perverted way as possible. That's what they're going to do. And they'll mock the promises of God. And when they mock the promises of God, they are mocking the authority of God's word and the truthfulness of his inerrant word, and they are denying his word. Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has been from the beginning of creation. Even if there is a God, he doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about you. He's not involved in this world. Who do you think you are? And the basis of their rejection is uniformity. Science is what it is. The universe is governed by natural law. Science and reason prevail over your dumb religion any day. That will be the basis of their mockery is science. Life continues forever and ever just as it was. Nothing has happened up to this point. Nothing is ever going to happen. They are ignorant. They are ignorant of at least four things. They are ignorant first of God and his creation. Look at verse 5. 
When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by the word and by water. He spoke the world into existence. That's the power of our God and he can intervene in this world any way, anytime he wants. They're not only ignorant of creation, they're ignorant of the flood and the destruction of the earth during Noah's day. Verse six, the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water and there's evidence all over this world of that flood. See, God will only take so much of sin before he judges. But I want you to notice something. Peter is a literal creationist. And Peter is a believer in a universal flood. Don't miss that. Under inspiration of scripture, he is a literal creationist and he is a believer in a universal flood. I want you to understand. I want you to know that on October 25th and October 26th, Answers in Genesis is gonna be with us on a Sunday and a Monday. Ken Ham will be here in the morning. He's the guy who debated Bill Nye, the science guy. He will be here Sunday for all of our services in the morning and evening. On Monday during the day, he will be here. There will be sessions for all school-age kids. Monday night, there'll be sessions for everyone, and the cost is free. So mark your calendar for October 25th and 26th as we dig into the Word of God and see it in light of creation. And get your kids out of school or invite them and their friends to come. He says, you're ignorant of creation. He says, you're ignorant of destruction by the flood. He says, next, you're ignorant of the coming destruction by fire. Look at verse 7. By his word, again, his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. His word creates. By his word, he destroys. God can intervene in this world at any time he wants and do whatever he wants when he wants to do it. Psalm 115.3, read it with me. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. End of story. Now it says here, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. It's going to be cold before we know it. Aren't you excited? It's going to be bitter cold before you know it. Aren't you thrilled? Oh yeah. Canadian cold Arctic air is going to come down. Sign of the time, friends. (laughs) Just to let you know, I've got a pile of wood in my backyard. I have it reserved for my fireplace. I'm going to take that wood and I'm going to put it in the fire. And, and, but right now, there's all kinds of critters and animals living in my, in, in my wood pile. I, 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 I want you to understand, they need to change a dress pretty fast before they're consumed. That, that wood pile is reserved for fire. I want you to understand, God says, I reserve this earth and its heavens for fire. And you better make sure you got a good change of a dress coming. You better make sure heaven is your new address because this place is going to burn and it's not going to be a small fire. The entire planet is going to go up in flames. Never seen a fire like that when this planet burns. You know what it also teaches us as Christians? Please don't live for the stuff of this world. It's just going to rot and burn. Stop living for the bigger home. Stop living for the nicer car. Stop living for the fancier clothing. Stop living for the stuff that really doesn't make a difference. And it's just gonna go up in flames. Start living for eternal values. Judgment is coming. He says, cup for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So there is ultimate accountability for everyone. No one gets away with their sin. 
He says you're, they're ignorant of creation, ignorant of destruction by water, ignorant of destruction by fire. They're ignorant of God's perspective on time. Look at verse 8. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. God counts time differently than we do. It's not that he is slow. It's not that he's tardy. It's not that he needs a detention for being late. He is always on time and he is never, ever late. Psalm 93, for, oh, for a thousand years is in your sight or like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. Or as Isaac Watts put it in his old hymn, O God, our help in ages past. Fourth stanza, a thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. One more area where they're ignorant. They are the ignorant of the reason why God is so patient. Look at verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God hasn't forgotten his schedule. God isn't hesitating or reconsidering. He is very patient. And here's the crazy thing about the unsaved world in which we live. They mock the very patience of God that withholds his wrath from them. They are mocking the very patience of God that awaits so gently their repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's desire. He is patient with this world. And he is patient with you. And he is patient with me. It says here, he, does, he wishes for any, he's wishing for any to come, but for all, the, or for all to come to repentance. I want you to understand that phrase, come to repentance. It means to make room for repentance. It's literally what it means. It means to have a humble an honest change of one's mind. To say, Lord, I want to make room for repentance in my life. I need to change. I need to be honest with you. And I need to be humble toward you. That's what God desires. He desires all of us to come to repentance before it's too late. And he's patient with us. For you who are believers in this place, God has been very patient with you. For some of you, you have allowed the sins of this world into your life. And God is saying, I've been patient, but I'm growing tired. I'm growing tired of what you've been looking at. Growing tired of where you've been going. I'm growing tired of what you've been doing because I'm no longer your first love. You're loving other things. And God is saying to you who are Christians today, I want you to make room for repentance. Today's the day. God, I need to change. I need to change what I've been doing, and I'm sorry. For some of you who are unbelievers, you need to change. You need to say, God, 
I need you. This world does not have the answer, and I know it. I've tried everything in this world, and it's leaving me empty. I need you. And God is saying, make room in your heart. Make room for repentance. And I will save you, and I will forgive you. See, he knows all of our sin, and he still loves us. He knows the sin that no one else even knows in your life and my life, and he still loves us. You need to come to repentance. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, and he will save you. He died on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you, and he will save you. It's our prayer that this message has been an encouragement to you and challenged you in your walk with God. If you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian or find yourself in need of spiritual encouragement, please give us a call at 630-554-3858 or contact us at www.harvestnewbeginnings.com.